Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you this week as we come down the home stretch of 2022, season six of Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. This week's topic is hard assets tangible assets. Real estate is a hard asset. You can touch it. You can go see it. Uh, but what does that mean? And if it's a hard asset, what's a soft asset? And why is real estate an essential part of a diversified portfolio? That's what we're going to chat about this week. As always, if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to shoot me an email Pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Had some great conversations just earlier today with some of you listeners. Thanks to those of you that have reached out. Always enjoy those chats. And if you have a question, don't hesitate to shoot me an email. And as always, swing by marapoling.com. Check out the Learning Center for more great educational content. And with that, let's dive into this week's topic. You may or may not have heard the term hard asset or tangible asset. Well, real estate is a hard asset. And it means just what you think it means. It's, it's a physical thing you can go touch. You can see it. You can touch it. It's, it is tangible. It's, it's physical. It has an intrinsic value in and of itself just by being. So if that's a hard asset, what's a soft asset? What, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most, if not all of you, have some soft assets. In other words, investments that are not directly investments in a hard asset where, where you own the thing, like real estate. Let's take a look at a couple. You own a share of stock. Well, that share of stock in that company represents an equity position, meaning that if you were to take all of the assets in that investment and subtract from it the liabilities that are owed, whatever is left, you would have a share of in proportion to whatever your percentage of ownership is. That ownership stake gives you a right not only to that piece of equity, it also gives you a right to the earnings. So if that organization earns a million dollars, then you get your share of that million dollars. So you own the right to the earnings. You own a right. You don't actually own the company. You don't you don't own the office that they work in. You don't own the machinery that's 
that's there. You don't own those tangible things. You own this right to the earnings. Maybe you don't have stock in that company. Maybe you have a bond that that company issued, which is debt, meaning that company borrowed some money in the form of a bond that you purchased. So you gave them $1,000 and that $1,000 for that bond went to them and they used it for various things. And they agreed to pay a certain amount of interest as well as pay back the principal at some point in time. So you have a fixed investment a debt. You own debt with that business. And when you entered into that contract, you did so based on their ability, that company's ability to repay you. So you don't own the company. You don't own any of the assets that are in there. But those assets were pledged against the debt that they now owe you. And were the company to liquidate, as I was describing a moment ago, step one is pay off all the liabilities, pay off all of the debt, which would be you as a bondholder. So if you have a debt position or an equity position with a company, you don't own the company, you don't own those individual assets, but you have some relationship to them and rights to earnings or to interest income. If you really want to talk about some esoteric opportunities, there are derivatives of these investments. So for example, a stock option, which has nothing to do with the actual company, it is simply a bet, if you will, on whether the stock is going to increase or decrease in value over some specific period of time. That's an investment. And many of you may have option investments, but option investments are not a hard asset. That's not ownership of that company. Well, let's talk about some other investments that are often considered, and rightfully so, to be as secure and in some instances more secure than an investment in real estate. The gold standard would be, no pun intended, the 10-year treasury. Now, a 10-year treasury, 10 years just happens to refer to the period of time for this uh, security that's issued by the federal government. These are, this is debt just like the debt we talked about from this company, right? So it is a debt that is owed to you, but it's not backed by any stuff, right? So with a company, that bond might be backed by their assets or something like that. Well, the federal government doesn't work like a business from that standpoint. There isn't a balance sheet for the federal government. I've often thought that would be an interesting document to see with all of the buildings and tanks and missiles and everything else that we own collectively as the citizens. But it's not backed by that stuff. It's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States, which essentially means the power to tax and the power to borrow that the United States government is saying, we're good for it. 
And when compared to other currencies around the world, the euro, the yen, um, the, the pound, when compared to all of those, the U.S. is the standard. It is the default currency that the world uses. And that's part of what gives a 10-year treasury the luster that it has. You will hear us often talk about when we're comparing risk profiles that the 10-year treasury is presumed in many of these discussions to be the baseline. It's the zero point. Is there risk investing in treasuries? Sure there is. The government completely went under, your money would disappear. The likelihood of that is considered to be so small that the risk associated with investing in a 10-year treasury is essentially considered to be zero. Now, when you look at those other currencies, right, you could invest in other currencies that are out there. They're going to have a higher risk profile. And they're backed the same way. They're not backed by anything. So you're making an investment and essentially what you're getting is a piece of paper that isn't backed by anything other than the person that's giving you the piece of paper saying, trust me, I'm going to make sure you get paid back. And maybe you believe that business. Maybe you don't believe that business. Maybe you believe that country. Maybe you don't believe that country. In general, people believe the United States is going to pay back those treasury notes. So relatively low risk, essentially considered zero by many. And then we have what is a fairly new phenomena, and that is digital currency, right? So we have currency like the dollar represented by treasuries that are backed by the US government, considered very low risk, if not zero. We have currencies from other countries that are backed by those countries, considered to be more risky, not as strong uh, economically as the United States. And then we have digital currencies, which are not backed by anything or any one. Uh, they manifest themselves. And therefore, there isn't anything to say they're backed by them. They're simply worth what they're worth based on what people are willing to trade those currencies at. Now, none of this is a commentary on 10-year treasuries or equity investments or stock options or digital currencies. Uh, it's simply to state that those are all investments that many people make. My guess is most of you have some investments that look like what I just described. They are different than a hard investment, a tangible asset. One of the things that differentiates them, again, is not just the physicality. It is the intrinsic nature of value in that asset that you are investing in. So let's let's talk about it. Let's not use an apartment building for a moment. Let's talk about another hard asset. If you were to invest in a piece of farm equipment, that piece of farm equipment is a hard asset, right? You can touch it. You can see it. It's tangible. 
And it's also really valuable when used in the production of whatever crop is grown by that particular farm. And it can generate income by virtue of its utility. But it still has value even if it's not doing that, right? If it is simply sitting, it still has value, right? Someone might come and say, I'd like to buy that tractor from you, and they'll pay you X amount of dollars in order to buy that tractor. Now, to them, it has value because they not only see the intrinsic value in it, but in addition to that, they can take it and go use it to grow a crop and to generate additional income. But the item itself has intrinsic value. And like a piece of paper from the soft investments, this has intrinsic value associated with it. So uh, take that thinking, and now let's look at an apartment building. So we own an apartment building, and we generate value from that building by virtue of the revenue that tenants generate in terms of paying rent and the net operating income that we receive based on uh, the operation of the asset. If all of that stopped, though, the building doesn't become worth zero. There is still intrinsic value. The building itself has value for the purpose of being used as an apartment building, for the purpose of being used for some other purpose, uh, maybe a different real estate purpose, right? So hospitality or some other use, uh, possibly in conversion to uh, individual ownership of condominiums, for example. The land has value in many, many ways. So there's intrinsic value in the asset above and beyond the value that we see as investors from the revenue and earnings that it generates. One last item that I'd like to remind all of us about is, yes, real estate's a hard asset. It's a tangible asset. And those are absolutely reasons that we would advocate for you to have some real estate in your portfolio, however you do that. Invest passively with someone like Mara Poling as a sponsor. Invest directly by going out and buying a duplex or a condominium that you can rent uh, down the street from yourself. Get into the multifamily game somehow. We strongly think that's a smart move for anyone that has a realist, uh, pardon me, an investment portfolio that they are managing. In addition to hard assets and tangible assets to that nature, we also think that multifamily makes a great deal of sense as compared to some of the other real estate opportunities that are out there because of its position in terms of the need that it fulfills. Is there a need for self-storage? Certainly. People have stuff, more stuff than they can fit in their home, whatever their home situation happens to be. And so they want a storage unit. There's real need there. Do people need an office? Yes. Not everyone has the ability to work from home and not every company can operate with people working from home. There's a need for office space. There's a need for retail space. There's a need for stores. People need to be able to go and buy things. Not everything can be taken care of through Amazon. And stores 
Businesses need brick and mortar locations to serve their customers. Those are all needs. As we begin to strip them away though, in terms of a hierarchy, self-storage, the world could live without self-storage, right? If you could imagine a very um, challenging future, you could imagine a future in which self-storage isn't so important anymore. You could imagine a future where, yeah, we don't need offices. You could imagine a future where I don't need a store either. I, I'll do something else. I need a place to go get my food because I need to eat and I need shelter. Those really are the needs, right? If you really think about the critical base level needs that every human being has, we need food and we need shelter. And as multifamily real estate investors, we're in the business of providing shelter. Now, certainly, a class B versus a class C, they both provide shelter. One's a nicer shelter than the other. A class A is even nicer than a class B. So while you could split some hairs around that component of it, the basic relationship of a tenant having a need, a true foundational need for shelter that needs to be fulfilled and the product that we offer, which is shelter in the form of an apartment unit, elevates that hard, tangible asset component to another level that really increases the security and stability of investments in multifamily. That's one of the primary reasons why we advocate so strongly for people to participate in some manner in the multifamily investing space. Now, if you have questions about any of these topics that I've touched on today, if you'd like to learn more about multifamily real estate and how it works and hard assets and diversified portfolios, I encourage you visit the Learning Center at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Lots of great content there. Please join me next week for the final episode of season six, our final episode for 2022, in which we're going to take a look back at five things that we learned in 2022. Thanks. Have yourself a great week and a Merry Christmas. And we'll see you next week on another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Polish.